Hello from Delenia, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the 401 Access Denied podcast, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or a review on your platform of choice, or by emailing us at podcast at delinea.com. From all of us at Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Denied. I'm your host for the episode today, Joe Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Delinea. And I'm really excited about today's podcast. I've got a very special guest on. And uh, it's something that, you know, I've known about uh, Carlos for a long time, um, but it's a pleasure to really get to, to have a, a really in-depth and fun discussion. So, Carlos, uh, I'll pass over to you to introduce yourself, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. No, Joe, the pleasure is mine. Um, thank you very much for having invited me here. Um, I'm very excited to, to be here with you uh, while discussing the the topics we are going to discuss, I don't want to do any spoilers. Uh, for the people that doesn't know me, um, I'm Carlos Polov. I have, I am the guy um, behind Hacktricks, the Peace, Pulper Panda, and these open source resources I dedicate to cybersecurity. And at the moment, I just work as a senior um, security engineer in a, in a fintech. Awesome. And uh, I mean, for me, one of the, you know, for the, I think, in every pen test that I've involved into, an ethical hack, and even incident response, I get into a lot of incident response. And one of the biggest things that always gets into me is um, how easy it is for the attackers to escalate privileges. And it's something you see all the time. And even, you know, I, I get involved in a lot of capture the flags and online events. And um, and for me, it gets going through. And one of the things that always fascinates me is, is the privilege escalation piece. It's the one that gets me excited. Once I get the initial foothold, I really get excited about how do I elevate the privileges right up uh, to, to either root or domain? And uh, a lot of the tools I use uh, in order to do that, um, I, in the live ones, I kind of go more manual. I take the, the manual approach uh, because you want to be less detected. You don't want to be as noisy. Uh, but definitely one thing that I go to all the time is, is LinPs and WinPs. Um, they are really awesome. And I've always loved automation. For me, it's all automation is the way to go. Um, so Carlos, it's amazing. And, and uh I'd like to also kind of where, where did you get started with privilege escalation? What was what was the background? Why 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 did you write the scripts? Um, and and even the awesome the the book on the Hacktrix was was fantastic as well because for everyone it's a go to reference in order to make sure that we're actually going through each step along the way and and, and elevating. Well, it's, it's it's a pleasure that you say that. I am really proud of Hacktrix and the piece, and I'm really I really enjoy people using it. Um, so why I started it, um, you mentioned it a, a little, a little bit, um, obviously when I need to be as stealthy, I also doesn't launch Limpies mm. because that is going to be very noisy. The same with Wimpies. Yeah. I try to take a more manual approach. Um, but in, I think that before Limpies, Wimpies and these scripts, um, in hack the box machines, in mm -hmm. this kind of boot to root CTFs where you need to install a privilege. Most of the people were doing this manual job, and yeah. one of those people at the beginning was me. And I'm gonna be honest, I I hated that part of the machines because <laughs> I will always do the same. I will just go to this blog post and start mm -hmm. copy pasting all the things. At some point, I will just put them in my own uh, local uh, yeah. <laughs> blog and copy paste from it. 
I just hate it because it was always the same. At some point you will find it, but mm-hmm. why do you need to, to do this manually? And by that time I was preparing for the USCP mm-hmm. and I was, uh, I was frightened that I didn't, I wouldn't have enough time to enumerate properly the machines and find the previous escalation. So I just started doing my own, uh, my own scripts. Mm-hmm. And at some point I just decided to put it colors because I, I knew I was going to be pretty nervous <laughs> for the exam. So I say like, Hey, put red color. So I know where I need to, to take mm-hmm. a look. And, and actually I started, uh, lean piece and win piece, mm-hmm. but not the version we all use now, but the batch version. The batch file. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The batch file. Yep. The OSCP machines were mm-hmm. kind of old. And the .NET weren't going to work, so I just created mm-hmm. this patch version just to enumerate them fast and try to find the escalation path. So I guess the OSCP has part of the fault of creating these these kind of scripts. But but to your point, one of the things is yes, as as doing penetration tests, I go to the manual method. Um, when I'm doing catch the flag, I go to the automated methods of linpies and winpies. But as a defender. I also use it as a defender to go through. Even when I, for example, uh, go into organizations doing instant response, I think for organizations should also be running these as a defensive, uh, defensive capability too. Because you want to find out if you've got misconfigurations, you want to find out if you've accidentally stored credentials in the deployment of a machine. Um, so I think you know, for yes, from a, an attacker perspective, but from a defender perspective, these are essential because a lot of cases are the things that go missed or uh, not checked. Um, so, I mean, for me, I think this is more important for defenders to be using these tools, um, more importantly than even just the attackers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I got this conversation maybe a couple of years ago mm-hmm. uh, about a person that had exactly the same mind as you had the same question. And he was telling me like, hey, man, I was given this, um, this this image. Is there any way I can run Limpis on it so I mm-hmm. can check the results and find mm-hmm. misconfigurations? And at that point, I, I, I didn't thought about it, uh, but he actually answered himself like two minutes later. He just <laughs> told me, hey, I did th root over the image and I wrote Olympus and I found the misconfigurations they had. So it's completely true what you say. Um, if you're a defender, you can just run Olympus in your machines to try to find these misconfigurations, fix them. But even if you are doing a forensic job or even, for example, I'm now using it to check some firmwares. Mm-hmm. You can just mount the, the image, use uh, CH root, yep. and just run Limpis and try to find some misconfiguration that Limpis is already looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the thing is, you know, even when we look at these, for you know, things can always be used for good and bad. But I think the benefit here is that for the, the people who's defending, they will get a lot more value being able to to harden machines and to be able to uh, configure and put the right things in place to make it as difficult as possible. Because um, for, for me, it's always, I like it to be a challenge. So I do. So one of the things I'd like, you know, for privilege escalation, um, it, I mean, from Windows to Linux and other d- platforms, how different is it um, in regards to the steps and, and processes? Are they very different in your experience or do you find it the same, same techniques used? Well, the main difference I usually find is that in Linux you have Bash and in Windows you have Bash or PowerShell. And if you are not used to Windows, that might be a a problem, definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you are lucky, of course, you now can have Bash in Windows, but uh, that's not usually the case (laughs) in the the police system. Um, From the techniques perspective, um, I think they have 
a lot of differences, mm-hmm. but they also have main techniques uh, that are quite similar. So regarding the differences, uh, when I started creating these Limpies, Wimpies, um, mm-hmm. I think the Golan language was starting to be known. And a lot of people told me like, hey man, why, why don't you just uh, create one previous collision two in, in Go? Okay. And the, the answer was pretty straightforward. Um, even if they have some techniques in common, more of, most of the Unix previous escalation techniques are only in Unix and most of the windows are only in windows. Yeah. Like you're not, you, you're not going to be looking for two ID binaries in windows. Exactly. Or yeah. you are not going to be looking for unquote service paths in, in Linux. Correct. And like this with hundreds of different techniques. So it didn't make any sense to create just... Uh, just regist- registries are very different as well. The, the, the One thing that you do find probably that overlaps is the way configuration files are done. Probably, you know, if it's XML or JSON or whatever it might be, the configurations might be the same way, but you're absolutely right. Registry, services, libraries, uh, user profiles. If I find them, they're very different techniques. You, you go through the, the same process if you look at the OS, and then, you, of course, you go into the users, and then you, you, know, yeah. you, you follow the same process, but I find them very different techniques in both systems. Um, yeah, I, I try to follow the same process because I knew that people were going to be more comfortable with Linux and the other mm-hmm. people were going to be more comfortable with, uh, with Windows. So even if they are completely different tools, if they have a similar structure, people is going to mm-hmm. find them easier to read. Yep. And obviously I put all these hack tricks things because that that was actually for myself because I, I couldn't learn um, hundreds, tens of previous escalation techniques and I knew that probably in a couple of weeks I'm no, I was not going to remember what was <laughs> those techniques. So I just put those links saying, hey man, just take a look here because here everything is explained. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you, you also introduce the, the similar techniques. Um, I found that in Linux and Windows, a uh, very, very, very common way to escalate privilege are just mm-hmm. permissions misconfigurations. Maybe yeah. you can read or you can write things that that you shouldn't be able, and that's mm-hmm. very uh, that, that's that's a common thing they have. So actually, if you go to the repo, you are going mm-hmm. to find some YAMLs files. Mm-hmm. Where in this case, I am putting all the uh, known files I know that might be containing passwords. Mm-hmm. And and uh, in case of Limpis, uh, part of the Limpis code is created automatically by Python mm-hmm. reading these YAMLs. And in case of Wimpis, that YAML is going to be embedded in the binary. Okay. This this means that the common thing they you they they do that is looking for these files. And soon enough, we can talk about this later. They are going to look <laughs> also for regexes. And um, the thing that they do in common, they actually do it in common. I don't need to maintain both uh, lists independently mm-hmm. or anything like that because I try to do that and I don't recommend it to, to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the common parts are actually uh, pretty common. So mm-hmm. that helps me a lot. Like uh, every time I do a new hack the box machine, I know yeah. I'm going to learn about a new software that is storing new password in a new different file. Mm-hmm. Before it took me maybe half an hour just to make sure it worked, to put in Limpies, to put in Wimpies. Mm-hmm. Now I just go to this YAML, copy paste something similar I want to do, change the names, and in less than one minute I have the the new Limpies and Wimpies prepared to to catch mm-hmm. this new file. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. They kind of at least make it as efficient as efficient as possible, and and look for the similarities across both platforms. Um, what is what is some? I mean, uh, when I'm doing a lot of the kind of machines uh, in Capsule Flyzer, um, on occasion, of course, you do find the kernel bugs, which you know do occur. Uh, what's what what's the primary, as you mentioned, misconfigurations about reading access files and writing to files? Is that the primary method that most attackers are able to successfully elevate privileges? Or what would you find be the most common? What's well, you know, I, I think of Windows probably services um, might be kind of mm-hmm. a, a common way to misconfigure services of, of write and folders or uncoded paths. Um, but what what do you find is the most common? Um, I mean, I think it will depend if it is a CTF or is it is mm-hmm. a, a production live whatever yeah. machine. I mean, CTF they well. You may find the SUID binary in all the easy CTFs, yeah. and that's everything you need. In other CTFs, you may find um, maybe that you can access some pseudo tokens in other process. Mm-hmm. Maybe that you can modify this service file, or maybe that you can uh, modify some folder where you can indicate the, the folder where the libraries are loaded from, and then mm-hmm. you can write your own library that will be loaded into the binary. Uh, uh, there are definitely a lot of different things, but in live machines, I can tell you that the most common thing to, to escalate privilege are, are, are credentials. Like mm-hmm. in maybe 90% of times that I, well, I, doing my job, I managed yeah. to get inside a, a machine or anything, you are going to find some credentials, you're going to find some tokens, and from them, even if you cannot mm-hmm. escalate privilege internally, you're going to be able to escalate privilege probably to external platforms, or even mm-hmm. using the, the the metadata endpoint, you will find some some useful tokens. Um, from the Windows perspective, I think is the most common thing in both CTFs and live uh, machines are going to be misconfigured services. Like for some reason, I I continue seeing that that misconfiguration that everybody knows about, and yeah. and, and I don't know why people are still <laughs> committing the, the same errors. Another Kind of common things I see in Windows machines is that maybe you can just write to the to the web server mm-hmm. and write into the web server. You're going to be able to escalate to a new user that will probably have a better token privilege that will mm-hmm. allow you to escalate privilege. That's also kind of common in Windows and not that common in in Linux. Yeah, some of the methods in in, in the real world scenarios that I've seen um, used by mostly kind of ransomware criminals was around, uh, unfortunately, organizations giving uh, local administrator rights to users on systems. And, and they ha- mm-hmm. I don't know if they have this perception that by giving local administrator rights is that it's limited to the one device and that users only... I, I, don't, I don't know if we should you know, get Microsoft to rechange it from local admin to being you know, a, a, an administrator irrespective because one, one, I find that the attackers you know, find that they're on a machine with local administrator rights is literally three or four steps that they have to change in the configuration of that machine um, and luring, what they tend to do is they try to lure um, somebody with domain administrator rights then to log on after making the registry changes um, uh, so that you know they can run Mimikatz. Of course, even with local administrator rights, they, I've seen them using things like GMER, uh, to, which we, we typically use to check if the system has kernel exploits or, or backdoors yeah. uh, or rootkits. The attackers are actually using it to see if there's any security solutions, it's monitoring their activities as well. So they're actually using GMER to look for security solutions that may not be visible 
in the in the interface. So it's always interesting to see how things are being used. But with local minister rights, literally, they're able then to disable security on the system, even if it's only for maybe a few minutes, like, you know, three or four minutes at a time, the sessions are quite short, then basically making those registry changes, um, and then kind of clearing their tracks, and then they wait for some domain admin to log on. And that basically is literally, they come back, and they've got full domain admin rights. So just waiting for those moments, that's what I've seen most commonly is, is unfortunately, overprivileged users uh, having too much rights to allow you to, to change the configuration enough in order to find ways to elevate privileges. So that's what I commonly see in, in, in the kind of uh, instant response or digital forensics. But more, yeah, the, in an in a exploitation or misconfiguration, definitely service paths. Um, and registry is, is the more common um, that I do see on a Windows side. That's why privilege escalation is that fun. Um, <laughs> there are thousands of ways to do it wrong and allow people to just escalate privilege. Yeah. And also something you said about these ransomware groups, mm-hmm. I want to say that Limpies and Wimpies are made for pentesters and from defenders to improve the security because I saw some of those groups using them. Mm-hmm. The defender should use it before them because they have access and fix all these misconfigurations. That's that's, uh, that's exactly what I was mentioning earlier. It is definitely best the defenders using it first, um, and and using it in a way that allows you to harden your systems and defend and, and correct. Uh, because like all tools, you know, even I see all PS Exec being commonly used, and and PS Exec is something that you know has been great for sys internals and win internals for for many years, mm-hmm. and we heavily depend on it to to manage and automate the environments. But yeah, it, it's. But yeah, it's primarily, you can never stop things being used uh, for both good and bad, but I definitely recommend the defenders to use it first. It's, it's, it's definitely, I, I think that this is what allows us, because otherwise the attackers are going to use the manual methods anyway. Um, and they're going to use the same methods as we mentioned earlier. When you're doing a real live system, you're going to do the manual methods. You're going to know how to do the manual methods. But defenders sometimes may maybe not have all the knowledge and all the skills all the time. So yes, better running the automation, limpies and wimpies to really get that visibility quickly and before the attackers find it. Um, for for me, it's it's it's, it's essential. It's better. I was always once told uh, that it's better better to stop the system from being compromised than it is to restore it later. Um, and that, that's <laughs> it allows you it allows a better state uh, and uh, the business to, to to be you know more resilient uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So, question. Um, one of the things that. What's what's kind of earliest? I've seen a lot of things where in recent months and even the past year, of course, I've seen a lot of, of course, a lot of organizations have moved to cloud and SaaS and other types of environments. What uh, I've seen, you know, things like Azure and AWS and uh, um, uh, becoming very popular, kind of used. Um, what about privilege escalation in cloud environments? Um, what do you see? You know, it, it is a it is different slightly um, um, than it is on premise because you're you're dealing a lot with different roles and different configurations. Uh, but what's what are you seeing with cloud systems and privilege escalation in cloud? Um, I'm glad you asked me that questions because then I can do some spam of my <laughs> latest tool called Purple Panda, and you can just find it in my GitHub repo. <laughs> yep. We'll make sure. I'll definitely make sure to include the Hattricks books and the GitHub repo uh, for your in, in the sh- in the show notes, so people can easily find it. So, uh, we'll definitely for the, for the audience, we're going to make sure that all the links are included, uh, so you can easily find uh, Carlos's GitHub and uh, the Hattricks. Perfect. Perfect. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so about previous escalation in cloud, 
Um, actually, the the past months, I have been a little bit absent from Windows and Linux privilege escalation, and I have been more dedicated to well to cloud privilege escalation, mainly to to systems to system, uh, platforms related to mm-hmm. CI/CD pipelines. Okay. Because I found I found very interesting how um, the whole way of the pipeline can be compromised, and there is not much about it uh, outside. There are not much research about hey, if you find this platform, you can do these things, or if you find this other mm-hmm. platform, you can do these things. So I have been mainly doing doing that job. Um, so you say it's pretty different from Linux and Windows previous escalation, mm-hmm. and I completely agree. Because you are not attacking an operative system, you are attacking. Um, well, you can also be attacking operative system. Probably, the most related part between Linux and Windows and and cloud mm-hmm. in a normal environment is the fact that you are either going to be able to find these tokens in that uh, machines, or that you're going to be able to talk to these mm-hmm. metadata services somewhere, and you're going to be able to steal some tokens. But from that point, they are going to be completely different mm-hmm. um, in cloud you need to you need to know how how the cloud how the platform how the SaaS application is working completely because mm-hmm. different platforms are going to have different privilege escalation techniques um, for example if we take a look uh, to kubernetes with mm-hmm. um, it's like probably your own cloud that can be also be run in in the cloud in eks or in gks in mm-hmm. in EKS or GKA in in Google, mm-hmm. um, you're going to find that just for being in a in a machine inside of that cloud, you're going to have some permissions. You need to mm-hmm. know very carefully what you can do with those permissions, because then you're going to be able to privilege escalate inside that platform. So in Cube, uh, in Kubernetes, you might find a service account that may be able to exec. In another um, in another pod in another mm-hmm. pod that will have another service account that might be able to create another pod, then you can just get all those service accounts. What I mean, what I want to say is that you have all these different permissions, and you need to know what you have and what you mm-hmm. can do with them, and then exploit it. But also, you have um, more add complexity. In case of Kubernetes, you could always try to escape to the node and from mm-hmm. the node you might be able to well compromise the whole cluster because you might find secrets of other namespaces of mm-hmm. Kubernetes in the containers running in this node. But also from the node you might be able to access new credentials in the maybe in an AWS environment. And mm-hmm. with these new credentials you may be able to escape to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And then we are talking about hey I I just compromise this small Kubernetes environment, and now I can escape to this cloud. You have to mm-hmm. do exactly the same. You have some credentials, and you have to enumerate what you can do. But there is a there is a very important difference probably between regular clouds like AWS, like, like yeah. Google Cloud, and things that maybe we are more common with like Active Directory or Kubernetes. And it's the fact that by default, having just some credentials in, the, in AWS or GCP or Azure. Mm-hmm. I haven't touched too much Azure, but I, I suppose it's the same. You're not going to be able to read all, to get just all the users, all the permissions, all, or everything can do. Mm-hmm. So something very important is that you have your credentials. Maybe your view is very, very limited. 
you see that you can impersonate this other service account or, or this other IAM role. And then with that new uh, set of credentials, you will need to enumerate everything again because you might be able to see new things. And that's yeah. something nice about Purple Panda is the fact that you can just indicate as much credentials as you want and it is going to be rerun with all the credentials, merging all the um, discovery assets mm -hmm. together. So finally, you're going to be able to see everything you can from the from, well, from the credentials. Uh, yeah, uh, it sounds it sounds a bit like a Bloodhound for. Uh, <laughs> can yeah, I, no, it's, actually, <laughs> actually, that's that's on me because I I, I I mentioned purple panda, but I didn't introduce <laughs> it properly. It, it's actually kind of a Bloodhound because I have graphs, I have yeah. the paths you can follow to previous escalate. So instead for Active Directory, it is for a specific clouds, but also mm -hmm. between them, because there is another layer of complexity added to all of this. And it's the fact that maybe you have a cloud. Maybe this cloud has some users that mm -hmm. can impersonate other users inside this cloud mm -hmm. or inside other clouds. But then you have integrations be between different platforms. Yeah. Because maybe in uh, a common example I used to put is Maybe you have uh, you have compromised a token or a user inside GitHub, which can manage to bypass a branch protection mm -hmm. and merge directly into into master in a repo. And um, bypassing that branch protection must not be that hard, as people might think. I, I I'm not going to explain all the techniques, <laughs> but all of them are are, are in hack tricks. But maybe you go to Google Cloud and you find this. Um, this cloud function mm -hmm. um, that is just running that repo from GitHub. And obviously this cloud function, um, uh, cloud function, cloud function is going to be a Lambda in, in the AWS mm -hmm. world. And it's going to be running with some set of permissions inside uh, any of the clouds. So if you can just merge into this repo, you are probably going to be able to compromise that new account inside this cloud. So you have also this kind of integrations or if you are storing your containers in, in, in GCR and you are running it in a AKS inside AWS, just with write access over that bucket that contains mm -hmm. these uh, container images and overriding one of them, you are going to be able to run it inside the AKS in AWS and you are going to be able to compromise another Kubernetes with another AWS with a lot of new possibilities. And I, I'm just starting, like um, <laughs> there are tens of ways to integrate different things, different platforms with different methods. And this is just a small part of the pipeline because then you have obviously um, the library repos, you have mm -hmm. the, the machines of the developers, you have, like there are a lot of different steps and it's too and easy you, to compromise it. Yeah, have you used much of the version control pieces as well? Because I know that it has a very poor job with version controls. If you just increment some of the versions, you can actually overwrite because uh, it automatically applies um, at any of the latest versions because people have switched to automatic updates. And if you have write to repository, you can simply put your own with a, with a, with a newer version revision. It's just yeah. one increase and it will apply. I, actually, that's where from where I started. Um, I just compromised the well, the version repository we have that developers are using to mm -hmm. to to download all the libraries and so on. And obviously, releases are are also using it. And I just found how something I don't like about this 
um, probably smaller platforms that, than mm -hmm. clouds, um, is that you're going, you, you can assign some roles, but you cannot granularly define what each person and each group can do. You will probably have like, you have write access, you have read mm -hmm. access, you have, and you cannot say maybe, hey, I want this guy to be able to modify these libraries or these repositories mm -hmm. or, or maybe just this, or maybe I don't want it to be able to overwrite new releases. Mm -hmm. What I find there is that most of the developers and, and other people, we have write access because at some point they might need it. Mm -hmm. And any one of them can just go there and create a new repository, compromise uh, an already created uh, release create a new release, like they can do whatever they want and they are going to compromise the whole pipeline. Yeah. You reminded me, when you were talking about the, the difference between you know traditional you know, OS type of platforms and cloud, it reminds me that when I when I think about kind of doing pen testing in cloud systems, it's almost like pen testing an API um, in many cases. It's just like it's service driven. You, you're, you, you probably have some type of API call and you're either basically writing to it or calling from it and depending on what privileges or what access you have, you're looking to get as much information and, and visibility as possible. It reminds me of one, one box I did on Hack the Box a while ago, um, which was uh, just looking up here, was Steam Cloud, which was basically a pod Kubernetes-driven uh, platform. So it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun doing. It was one of my first times getting into doing pods and basically being able to write uh, new pods and, and then elevating privileges and then breaking out of it. Um, but for anyone who's, anyone who's listening to the audience, if you're interested in, in even going and trying this, um, it might uh, maybe even the, the panda might work here, but uh, um, but yeah, the Steam Cloud is a good good box to go and try the skills out if you're looking to get into containers and, and Kubernetes for sure. So, um, actually, I have an embarrassing story about Kubernetes, and um, it was the fact that I I managed to get to the to finals of this uh, live hack the box event, and the final mm -hmm. boss, the final machine, was a Kubernetes machine, and. <laughs> um, at that point, um, at that point, it was funny because I was playing with my mate, and I told him like, "Hey, man, um, this is exactly the work I was supposed <laughs> to be doing uh, in my job, but I haven't started it, <laughs> and I feel very, 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 very bad because I don't know how to manage this. I haven't used Kubernetes in a year. Probably mm -hmm. the last time was uh, when I did this hard box machine, and and at the end we we won because the other." We didn't want the, the other team lose lost because okay. they just didn't patch correctly something that they started losing points. Uh, okay. But after that, I knew I needed to dedicate more time of, to Kubernetes. And actually, I think what one of the most advanced or maybe the most advanced publicly available uh, print testing Kubernetes methodology. You can hide, mm -hmm. find it in in, in Hacktrees. It, it has like tens of pages about mm -hmm. how it works, how to abuse, how to escape. Uh, well, yeah, I think yeah, definitely. You know, my 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 go to places is definitely hat tricks and also uh, all the payloads, all the things. Um, this Swiss key payloads uh, yeah. and also got milk. <laughs> I think those are my probably <laughs> probably three most commonly used websites that I go, <laughs> go to frequently. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've even I think I've even got cloned the repository, so I, at least I have offline access when I need to because you never know. <laughs> so. Yes. I, I also use those repos a lot. Yeah. So, what, what, which ones? So, outside of your own repos, which ones do you use the most outside um, of of your own side? Which which places? Are, which places do you go to for learning and information? Well, that's a tricky question. Um, I'm gonna I, 
being honest, the, 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 the blog I use the most is Hat Tricks because um, I usually forget what I have written there. And I just know <laughs> I just know that I have written something about what I'm thinking. So I just go to Hat Tricks to the page and look for it. So that's very, very, um, that makes my life much easier. Mm-hmm. You say the payloads of the things is probably the second one I, I use the okay. most because, um, well, it's very, very useful to find just payloads and start trying things and learn mm-hmm. about new techniques and so on. Um, which other ones I use? Um, I I used to like a lot um, some tutorials that in that appears in hacking articles. I think it's called. Oh, hacking page. articles is pretty good. Yeah, they they have pretty good, uh, very thorough kind of um, multiple ways of doing. You know, similar. Yeah. If you have a specific goal in, in, in mind, the hacking articles is definitely a good way to go through and kind of seeing alternative ways of doing the same thing. Um, yeah. I, I like that that approach. Is that here's a way. If you want to do reverse shells, here's a good couple of different ways you can do it on different platforms. Um, the what my kind of what I try to do though when I'm doing any types of kind of flags is I prefer my preference is to change the uh, elevate locally in the machine rather than doing reverse shells because if you if you practice that more when you get into the real world you, mm-hmm. you, reverse shells can be a very noisy um, so you, you want to elevate without actually creating a lot of communication so sometimes it's good practice to kind of think when you're doing it in in even gamification side you want to practice the things that doesn't create noise when you're actually doing it in the real world side as well. You want to go through some of those, those techniques. So what's, what's some of your, your preferred ways um, that you, you like to do uh, in regards to, to elevating? In order to elevate privilege locally. Yeah. Locally, do the same. Changing, changing permissions or creating users or... Oh, um, I think the... Yeah, probably the thing I use the most in, in Linux will be to just create a, a bash with SUID bits shit. Yeah, and just execute it. And if that doesn't work, probably I will just change uh, or create a new user or change mm-hmm. the password of one user. Yeah, it's the least noisy perspective because anytime you're creating connections, um, people can trigger. And then the goal is always my goal is to be as stealthy as possible. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, yes. Yes. And no. <laughs> I no. I would also keep in mind where where I am because in in a lot of cases, if you just out of the blue create a SUID binary. Like it's so known this way of escalated privilege that I think some alert is going to be triggered. Like, hey, for some reason someone mm-hmm. has created a SUID binary that shouldn't be happening. So, but yeah, probably creating just a reversal will trigger a lot of alerts saying there is yeah. there is this bus pipe working and <laughs> it's not <laughs> ideal. Yeah, absolutely. And how often do you see do you see kernel exploits happening? Yeah, you know, we do see them periodically. We saw we saw dirty pipes recently uh, appearing in, in Linux kernel. Um, we have you know uh, the uh, rotten potatoes and juicy potatoes and other potatoes and many potatoes, which is you know <laughs> and uh, lots of cows, dirty cow on, on Linux. Um, how you know? Of course, organizations still struggle to update and patch. Uh, systems. Um, how frequently do you still see kernel exploits um, kind of being used? Um, well, unfortunately, I have been seeing this kind of exploits much frequently in the last months. And mm-hmm. uh, we have this. We have had these three. Um, it was called Pwnkit, um, the Pwnkit mm-hmm. exploit, and and the Dirty Pipe. Um, yep. Very very useful <laughs> if you're an attacker. Obviously, all the potatoes, uh, all the print, whatever ways to mm-hmm. escalate privilege in Windows. So, um, 
I actually dedicate WinPiece, well, the piece scripts mm-hmm. to find misconfigurations and not just find kernel exploits, because I thought that was something that with time were going to slowly disappear. Mm-hmm. But from time to time, we have these months where everything is broken and, 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 and there are a lot of unknown ways to escalate privilege. So lately I have been seeing them a lot. Um, it, it's also funny to see how people call the exploits, uh, the potatoes, the, the peas, <laughs> the cow, like you can't have a proper meal just escalating privilege. It's, it's almost like a farm, farm, farm. You know, it used to be, it used to be, you know, all about the furry animals. Uh, now it's about the farm farm animals. Uh, so it's, it, it it does it does it does have these seasonal different uh, environments where people just kind of get on the on the different uh, kind of trending buzzwords. Uh, so yeah, it used to be all the fur- furry animals. Now it's the the garden animals um, and vegetables. <laughs> um, so it's, I, I was I was love the kind of the creativity that many people have of putting into these. <laughs> so. So it makes it some of the fun things. Um, one of the questions I've got for you as well is that I saw recently, I remember seeing a, a lot of threads around the Active Directory piece that came out um, um, around the, you know, for doing Active Directory. You know, for me, I, I typically use mostly Bloodhound side of things, but I haven't got to use it. But um, I saw the thread about somebody creating their own uh, piece branded, uh, um, was it uh, utility? Um, how important is it for other people to contribute? To, to what you're doing, um, how, how do you find? Is, is it are you willing to be open and, and get other people contributing in or calling other new tools uh, after peas? Because I think it can be a bit misleading if you do see something peas. You think it's going to come from you? Um, yeah, what's your, what's your um, that? I, I mean, to to be honest, I, I don't think it was proper from a person that I don't know that has never spoken mm-hmm. to me um, to create. Just a piece because um, I mean the, the 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 tool doesn't even have the the output structure of a piece. So yeah. um, I think he was just using that name for making some publicity. Mm-hmm. But as you said, um, community contributions are very 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 important, and I understand that if he wants to call him piece his tool, um, he mm-hmm. can. And obviously, I don't have any PowerShell script in the in the piece, so I mm-hmm. I try to talk to him and suggest him that if he managed to uh, move the output structure for a more piece structure mm-hmm. with some colors, with the banner, with disclaimer, um, yep. just the common piece structure, I wouldn't mind to. And obviously, after I review the code, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind putting it in the in the official piece repo mm-hmm. if that's what he wants. But also I found something that I didn't like. And it's the fact mm-hmm. that um, someone just just posted, hey, I found this new piece. Thank you very much, Carlos, whatever. And man, <laughs> that wasn't even my repo. Like, and it, that wasn't even the, the, the banner of the piece. Um, like people start thinking that it was my tool because it had the name piece and it, we work in cybersecurity. We shouldn't be able to be fixed that easily. Like, yeah, we, we, we should do proper OSINT. <laughs> proper OSINT yeah. should be able to find the source. <laughs> People is going to create the SunOS piece. It's going to be an amazing backdoor. And people is going to just start executing it because it's called peace or whatever. If it's not on my repo, you can be sure that it's not mine. And you have to be careful with what you're running as well. I mean, that's one of the things that I I'm always adamant, and uh, I even remember it was it was it early last year the Tibris uh, kind of was it was flagging 
I think there was the case in the OCP exam. Um, one of the changes you made was uh, it was actually, was it the kernel exploit that was in there that was actually triggering what was... Because you, you always have to be very careful what you're running. And that's one thing is every time I've got images, I'm going through and always checking to see what version or what, what's actually running in there, what version I've got to make sure that it's always legal uh, in regards to, you know, working with a client or something like that. So, uh, but you're absolutely right. Always review the code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, about what happened with the OSCP. Um, I have to say that it wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously it wasn't my fault. But it wasn't it wasn't my fault in a very deep level. <laughs> um, well, obviously, people should read mm. the code before before running anything. I am releasing uh, new versions of Limpies, mm-hmm. but they are mostly the same. Maybe just a few things change. So I encourage people to read that. Um, the thing what's happened here is that I had this um, exploit in Linux, which is that you can get pseudo tokens from mm-hmm. other process of your own user and just escalate privilege yeah. um, without knowing the, the password of the user. So I put this check in Limpies maybe one year, mm-hmm. two years before the the OSCP exam, the OSCP mm-hmm. guys decided to put these privilege escalation techniques. And I also had this technique in mm-hmm. hat tricks for so long. So I could believe that they read this privilege escalation yeah. technique in hat tricks. They say, "Wow, this is <laughs> kind of easy and cool mm-hmm. thing to do. And they just put it in the OSCP. The thing is that for Limpies, it was as uh, it was um, in order to know if it was exploitable, if it was vulnerable, mm-hmm. you needed to try to exploit it. Yeah. So if I was already exploiting it, I'm going to give you a, a shell and you're going to be root and everyone is going to be happy. But then the USCP considered that because of that exploit, Limpis wasn't an enumeration tool, was an automatically exploit tool, and they decided to well yeah. to not pass this guy. After that, I talked with the USCP guys. I modified that check. So instead mm-hmm. of exploiting it, it just tells you, Hey, this is vulnerable. Just go to Hack Tricks and copy paste okay. the exploit. Apparently, that makes uh, Limpis again an enumeration tool. They mm-hmm. agree. They allow again Limpis to be used. Uh, this is from time to time. I have some I, uh, some <laughs> person asking me if what is what is the OSCP safe version of Limpis. <laughs> Everyone is. Every release of Limpis can be used in in, in the OSCP. Oh, that's, that's- Good, good to hear for everyone. For everyone who's listening, just planning to do OCP, definitely. <laughs> now, you, now you're here. <laughs> and, and the OCP people at the end passed the, this yes, guy. I, yeah, oh, they, they, they changed it. Was, it. Uh, yeah. it was a story with a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, we were all we were all kind of like, uh, I think on social media, it was like quite a lot of us who were like kind of pushing. It's like, what? That's such a minor, such like... I know things are set to for people to do the skills and know the techniques and stuff, but that was such a minor thing to 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 impact somebody, and that's so stressful um, yeah. scenario for that individual. So, but yeah, it's it's great to kind of have that uh, compromise and have that you know discussion. But you're absolutely right. Even going back to the the actor directly one, you're absolutely right. You know, you if you're going to run anything, I, I even prefer to modify everything beforehand just to make sure or check check every payload or rewrite it in my own kind of way to make sure that mm-hmm. I want to understand what it's doing. So yeah, to 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 see something called P's, you're going to do o- OSINT, you're going to check it, and you're going to make sure it's coming from your repository before running it. 
Because um, even for even anyone who has forked versions, you know, sitting in their own repos, I won't touch them uh, because I know I don't know uh, unless I do a comparison um, to see exactly what's happening. You you don't know what they've changed or what's modified there. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. 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 Like that's essential. We are we work in cybersecurity. You should know what you are running. Absolutely. So, question: What, what about community-wise? How can the community help you uh, contribute? What What things can people get involved uh, to help Ooh. you? Um, so, what What can the audience who's listening in uh, see how they can contribute to, a, to your awesome work? This is a really nice question because new things are coming for the hack tricks and peace world. Mm. So the the so. Uh, let me let me disclose what is going to be happening. Uh, probably next week, maybe the week after, I'm going to be releasing some um, exclusive piece versions and, and hat tricks. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my goal, knowing that a lot of people is using it, is I would love to dedicate more time and even try to professionally mm-hmm. dedicate to just create tools for the community. Because well, I have a lot of ideas in mind that people I think will find useful. Um, so I'm going to be creating a subscription way to access mm-hmm. these new versions of Hack Tricks and the Peace and Purple Panda and, and other mm-hmm. tools. So people might contribute just paying these subscriptions, which will allow me to dedicate more time and to give better content um, to, to the subscribers. Mm-hmm. But also I want to indicate that if I manage to dedicate to the piece, if I manage, they get more time to mm-hmm. tricks and and so on. The, I'm not going to leave alone the white community. My idea is every some months merge the master mm-hmm. versions into the community versions, so they are going to uh, be updated every once in a while. And if I dedicate more time to this, probably the updates that I'm going to be doing for the community versions are going to be better than the updates mm-hmm. I'm doing um, regularly, but with needing to do other <laughs> things with my in my time. So I think everyone is going to win. But obviously it's not all about that. Actually, I would love to find people that want to contribute with code because um, there are a lot of um, new things I want mm-hmm. to put in the piece, I want to put in Purple Panda. I would love people to help me researching for hat tricks and... Um, um, reporting new techniques, new ways to, to do things in, in hack tricks. So I also encourage that people that want access to the latest version of these tools and don't want to pay anything, if they are willing to dedicate some hours every mm-hmm. week to help me with them, I will very gladly give them access to, to the latest things and they can just pay the community or pay me by mm-hmm. uh, giving some hours and improving these tools. No, that's that's awesome. I think that's great to connect because the way that we all went together is by collaborating. That's the only way we can be successful is is transparency, collaborating as a community to make the world a safer place. And that's ultimately, yeah. you know, we can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it individually. We can do some contribution individually, but the way we, you know, really make the world a different place, a safer place is working together. Um, so absolutely, that's great to hear. And we'll definitely make sure that, you know, if you have uh, a link that we can add uh, for the subscription or how people can reach out, we'll make sure they include those as well. Carlos, it has been awesome having you on. I have, <laughs> I could talk to you for hours and hours, but we'll leave that for another time. Um, uh, we didn't get to meet each other the other week for a very short amount of time. <laughs> um, yeah, very, very, very short. <laughs> very, very short amount of time. Uh, but definitely, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll cross paths again in the near future, uh, whether you're going to be at 
um, either Black Hat or DEF CON or RSA or whatever events in the near future. We'll definitely make sure to catch up and to spend some more time yeah. together. But it's been awesome having you on the show. This has been for me. It's a it's a topic that I I love talking about. It's one of my favorite things to do, as I mentioned. Um, and what you're doing in the community, the work that you do is amazing. It's fantastic. Um, so please, you know, whatever we can do to support you, we'll do what we can to keep it going. Um, any final things you would like to say to the audience before we finish up and wrap up for the day? No, man, I, I, I really appreciate the works and I, I completely agree. The, the way to improve the cybersecurity is working together. And <laughs> what a best way to work together that's submitting pull requests to hack tricks. <laughs> so I invite everyone to, to do that. And uh, now, joking aside, no, thank you very much for having me here. I, I definitely enjoy, as you know, the previous discussion topic. And it's always a, a pleasure to, well, to talk to you. And I hope we will be able to meet in person um, with a longer period of time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, maybe, maybe no, because the problem is when you're wearing masks as well, it's hard. You may as well have names or something on the mask. That also makes it a bit easier to see as well. <laughs> so, but it's been awesome having you on. Thank, many thanks for everything. And uh, again, for the audience, you know, definitely, you know, go, if you're looking to, to learn more, uh, we'll make sure you get the, the uh, links to the show notes um, definitely go check out uh, uh, Carlos's repo. And again, you know, tune in every two weeks for 401 Access Denied. The podcast is really here to help share knowledge with you and, and introduce you to um, awesome and amazing people. Uh, so again, stay safe. And thank you, Carlos, for being an awesome guest on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. This podcast is brought to you by Delinea, the number one privileged access management solution for enterprises with complex hybrid IT environments. You can get our free ebook, Privileged Access Management for Dummies, by visiting us at delinea.com slash PAM for Dummies. That's delinea.com forward slash PAM, the number four, dummies. From all of us at Delinea, thanks for listening.